this is our guest speaker, uh, Dr. Marvin Wilson. Despite the fact that he's a Red Sox fan, we're happy to have him with us. <clears throat> uh, he is a New England native, so I guess he has an excuse. But uh, after uh, doing doctoral work at Brandeis, he uh, eventually ended up at Gordon College, where he is the Harold J. Ockengay Professor of Biblical Studies. Uh, he is also somebody who, throughout his career, has been active in uh, Jewish evangelical relations, and his book, our Father Abraham, Jewish Roots of the Christian Faith, which this is the copy in our library. What? Okay. Bless you. Uh, is, is going into now its 26th printing. So will you please join me in welcoming Dr. Wilson. What a delight uh, for me personally to be here. I uh, deeply appreciate uh, my friendship with Jason. We have so many things in common. We're so delighted in the uh, recent good news about his uh, defense of his doctoral dissertation. There's so much wonderful material in there, and it's on the cutting edge of things that are very dear to my heart, evangelical Jewish relations. I admire him for what he does and the way he reaches out. I come from a church where what is being done here is also part of our church. And it's very fulfilling, not only for the pastor, but for lay people who are involved in that very important conversation. So we celebrate all the good things happening here, and uh, we are certainly delighted to be here today. I love Abraham, and Paul seemed to love Abraham. And you'll notice in your bulletin, our text for today is Romans 4, 16 and 17. And I'm going to read that, and... Uh, We'll start then with 4.16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. As it is written... I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Abraham is... The focus of these two verses, God had made a great promise to Abraham, starts in Genesis chapter 12. You remember the great promise concerning the land, concerning numerous descendants, concerning, hey, you over there, Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That promise then went to Abraham and to his family, to his offspring. 
This man who is emphasized in verse 16 as a man who because of his faith, do you remember earlier in 4.3 in this chapter, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. That's a quote from Genesis 15, verse 6. The belief, the faith of Abraham was important. Faith is an attitude toward God. It's trusting him. But also what makes Abraham special, it's more than contemplating he stepped out into life. The attitude leads to action. The appeal here is not to uh, good works, to the law, to anything else other than because of God's grace that comes, God's unmerited favor. The result of this promise to Abraham that you and I are part of is by grace. That's how we are children of Abraham. Because Abraham believed, if we believe, then to be part of the Abrahamic family is a consequence of that belief. I believe Christianity does not start with with Paul. Christianity does not start with Jesus. But Christianity really starts with Abraham. Let me give you scripture for that. Galatians 3.29 Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's offspring. The moment you say yes to Christ, whoever you are, whether of Abraham's natural seed or those of us who are the wild olive branches, the Gentiles, when we say yes to Christ, we become part of the Abrahamic family. So what I'm saying is here, Abraham is part of every Christian's spiritual DNA. We cannot be Abraham's spiritual offspring and be indifferent to Abraham's people, to be indifferent, not to speak of Abraham our father, but also to our father's land. We are part of the extended Abrahamic family because of our faith in Christ. When we say yes to Christ, we take on a whole family, a spiritual family, many of whom are celebrated in Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham's just the beginning of the family because he and Sarah are our spiritual fathers and mothers. Have you read Isaiah 51, verses 1 and 2? There, Isaiah says, look to the rock from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and Sarah, your mother. In Isaiah's day, then, the whole community of faith were to look back to the people who made the break. Abraham came from an idolatrous culture. And because he broke away from those idols, according to rabbinic teaching, the father of Abraham was an idol maker. 
But Abraham was the first, according to Scripture, to embrace the one true God. And while monotheism is articulated by Moses in the Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, and then you love him with all you've got, Jesus affirmed the oneness of God as Moses did, but it was Abraham who was the first to break, make that break. <clears throat> That's why in rabbinic literature, Abraham and Sarah are viewed as the first two converts of the faith that you and I embrace. They made the break from polytheism to respond to the call of the one true God. That's why Abraham <clears throat> is very special, because he has, as verse 16 says, offspring from all people who have responded by faith as he did to this God who calls people out of darkness into light. And so verse 17 refers to Abraham as the father of the nations, the father of many, as it is written. When you see that expression in Scripture, as it is written, you know there was no New Testament in Paul's day. Paul had to appeal to his own Scriptures, the Jewish Scriptures. And so he goes back to the book of Genesis, and he does this frequently. Abraham was a favorite of Paul. Seventy-five times Abraham is mentioned in the New Testament. That's more than David. David's only mentioned 58 times. The first verse in the New Testament connects the New Testament to Abraham. The genealogy of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, Ben David, Ben Avraham, the son of David, the son of of Abraham is the way the New Testament opens. Matthew 1.1 refers to Father Abraham. Why? Because the line of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes through the tribe of Judah, and David, of course, was the greatest king of the tribe of Judah. But Judah was a Semite, as Abraham was a Semite. When you say Semite, you are saying Shemite, because Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And the Shemites are the people through whom Abraham and his people developed the Jewish people. Now, <clears throat> if we use Father Abraham as a model to teach us how to live, what virtues are there in Abraham that might be important for us to follow as believers today? Clearly, Abraham's faith in the promise. Has the promise kicked in for us? Yes, it has. The greatest jewel in the promise that came through Abraham 
is Christ. That kingdom of Christ was inaugurated. The messianic age has dawned. It hasn't become consummated yet. But the one that Abraham and his people were taught to expect has appeared on this earth. And some day in the future, that person that Abraham only longed for by faith will return to complete that work. Have you read Luke's Gospel? Luke talks about a future appearance of Father Abraham at the Messianic banquet when the kingdom is complete. And it says Father Abraham is sitting at banquet with Jesus. And people come from the north, the east, the south, and the west, and they banquet together. Father Abraham is the bookends of the Bible. It starts with Father Abraham. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed. He's the man of faith, and you can't get into the church without faith. Abraham is there to celebrate the faithful at the end of time at the great Messianic banquet. And by Luke, including Northeast, Southwest, the inclusiveness of Abraham's family. Notice what God does in Scripture. He starts with the particular Abraham in order to affect the universal. That's to bring someone like me, a wild olive branch, in somebody that does not come from Abraham's physical, natural, earthly family. I came in through the outpatient department. But I had my ticket punched because I believe in the God of Abraham. And I enter that family through faith. That's how you came, too. I think children should bear a resemblance to their parent. I really don't understand how people can be children of Abraham and not know much about how Abraham's people lived, what their value system is, what their ethics are, what God has done for hundreds and hundreds of years through these people long before Christianity was born. To bear a family resemblance, we have to learn who the characters are in our family, what they believed, what their corporate story and individual stories were like. 
According to Genesis 18.19, God says, I have chosen Abraham so that he might direct his children after him to keep the way of the Lord. Abraham has many children. There's a little song kids sometimes sing. Have you ever sung it in this church? Well, welcome to the club. This is the Abrahamic club we're talking about today, which all of us are members of. No dues, by the way. That's what Paul says in verse 16 of our text today. It's by grace. It comes by faith. It's not by natural descent. It's not by anything legal. It's simply because we say yes to the God who comes to us as he did to Father Abraham by divine revelation. True children of Abraham have had an encounter with the living God. There's something supernatural about that. There's no way Abraham could have made his break from Ur of the Chaldees with all those idols, but he did. And God initiated his search for Abraham And the beauty of the biblical text is he responded and said yes. Revealed religion works that way. It's not man's search for God. No, what you have in Scripture is perpendicular. It's God in search of man. The first question in the Bible is, Adam, hey, where are you hiding? It starts with God. Genesis 12 What does Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian church, just about to die, and what's he do? He gets up and starts his speech talking about Abraham. Acts 7, 2, Abraham says, or, or this Stephen speaks of Abraham, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia and said, Leave your country, your people, and go to the land I will show you. So he left. Revelation. God came to him. Get out. The Torah portion calls it Lake Lecha. Beat it. Leave. Move out. And he did so by faith. Galatians 3.14 says, God speaks of the blessing given to Abraham being passed to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, who by faith received the promise of the Spirit. Jesus and the gift of the Spirit, these are the ultimate blessings that come through Abraham to the Abrahamic family. For by grace are we saved through faith and that not of ourselves, said Paul to the Ephesians. It is a gift of God. So the promise is a gift. That's the great thing about Christianity. Salvation is free. And Abraham responded to that God. True children of Abraham have open hearts, as Abraham did, to receive a gift.
true children of Abraham have encountered the living God in their own personal lives. As Stephen puts it, Abraham encountered the God of glory, the God of kavod, whose presence spoke to Abraham. You see, theology is more than what's written in a book, more than concepts. It's personal encounter with the living God. That's what moved Abraham out. Idols are deaf and dumb. They have to be carried. There's no life in them. If there's one thing that set the religion of the people into whom we have been engrafted apart, it's the fact that God is alive. And Abraham came to know this living God. Also, to be a true uh, child of Abraham is to affirm belief in one God and to break away from gods that ensnare us. Now, that's more difficult. You can go to the British Museum and see many of the gods as they were depicted physically in various figurines and idols in Ur of the Chaldees, as excavated by Woolley. But the gods of our age are just as real. We may not bow down to them. But me-firstism is one of the gods of our age. Materialism, consumerism, ethnocentrism, hedonism, Just live for pleasure. It's all about me being happy. There are many gods of our age from which we need to break away and say yes again every day. You know, every day I get up, I have to say yes again to my faith. Christianity is not a fix for a lifetime by once saying yes. You will each day to walk with Jesus. You walk each day with the King of the universe at your side. And you welcome Him in. Or you can run from Him. He creates us with a free will. And so, Abraham had to renew that walk. He could have gone back to his idols or he could daily keep that conversation going with the one true and living God. That was the God that Abraham served. He didn't serve him once when he said yes. He served him daily. And Abraham was on a pilgrimage. This is something else that you and I learned from Father Abraham. Life is a pilgrimage. And he had a pilgrimage mentality. You heard the expression, the wandering Jew. He was the first one to whom that word was applied according to the rabbinic sages. As a merchant trader and a nomad who roamed the fertile crescent, between the Tigris, Euphrates, Mesopotamia, 
up to northeast Mesopotamia and then down through Damascus. Thank you for the prayer for Damascus today and for Syria. And then down through the land of Canaan and all the way down into Egypt by the end of chapter 12 where he got into trouble with his wife Sarah. Remember Sarah and Pharaoh. But she was a beautiful woman at age 90. God said to Abraham, walk before me. Genesis 17, verse 1. Walk before me. The Hebrew Bible describes the relationship of God's people as a walk of faith. And Abraham walked with God. There are very, very, very few people in the Bible that God calls his friend. There are 2,300 different Bible characters, but Abraham is one of those choice ones. He is called God's friend, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 7, and James in the New Testament, chapter 2, verse 23. Why was Abraham the friend of God? Well, that word <clears throat> friend in Hebrew, chaver, is the same root as the word Hebron, where David set up capital for his tribe Judah. 25 miles south of Jerusalem. Haver comes from a root which means to be associated with, to be bound to in a relationship. That's what a friend is. Somebody who is bound or linked to another. That's a wonderful description of Abraham and his God. He was bound to him. Later, Joshua uses the word davak. In modern Israel, the word for glue is devak. Abraham, in terms of his ancestor, Joshua calls his people to cling to, to stick to, to be like glue to God. Stay close to God. Abraham walked with God. He walked as a pilgrim from place to place. The rabbis describe Abraham as the first missionary in the Bible. The first monotheistic missionary, that's for sure because he brought Gentiles the knowledge of God. That's how you and I are here today. I'm not from a Jewish background, physically, linearly. It's not my heritage. But I'm here today because Abraham and Abraham's people became missionaries to the world. Abraham, through you, all the families of the earth are to be blessed. 
You're going to be father of many. You're going to have many children, Abraham. Some from your own natural people. But like the stars of the heavens, which cannot be counted, and like the sands of the seashore, which can't be counted, your descendants are going to be innumerable. This morning, we are having an Abrahamic family reunion. Because everyone is here today because of Abraham's people who were faithful to God. He was the first missionary giving the message of the one true God. And Christianity and Judaism today are both Abrahamic, monotheistic religions. Both Christians and Jews today continue to hold on to the promise that the promise ultimately will receive its final fulfillment of God bringing justice, righteousness, and shalom to this earth through a Messiah A concept introduced to the world not by Christianity, no. It first came through Judah, one of Abraham's immediate descendants. Hey, Judah. The scepter will not depart from you and your family. The royal line will be Judah. That kingly line will not cease until he comes to whom it belongs. There is the promise of the descendant by one of Abraham's family during the patriarchal period that promises us there will be a king. That's part of what Abraham's family gave to the world. So like Abraham, we trust God. Like Abraham, we are bound to the Lord. We stick close to the Lord. Covenantally, we are connected to the Lord just as the Lord sealed the deal with blood. Isaac. Born, our text says in verse 17, from a dead, D-E-A-D, womb. Sarah was postmenopausal, and yet God <clears throat> brought life from what outwardly was thought to be death. You read it in Romans 4.17. Maybe Paul also <clears throat> there had a reference to his own Savior who came back from the dead. But there was somebody else whom God brought to life through the promise. Remember, the angel came 
Ha, 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 ha. Yitzhak, Isaac, means laughter. Who might have thought? What are the words before the birth of this child of promise to Abraham, Yitzhak, or Isaac? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That word hard is pele, P-E-L-E, the same Hebrew word used in Egypt for the miraculous supernatural signs and wonders that accompanied the plagues in Egypt that allowed the release of the Israelites and the bringing of them safely through the waters of the Red Sea. The birth of Isaac was supernatural. It came from a dead womb. God entered into a covenant with his people, bound himself to them. And when Isaac in the eighth day was circumcised, the blood sealed the deal. There was a mal malediction associated with circumcision. Have you ever thought of it, Jewish people, even to this day? If someone is already circumcised, blood must be drawn before one can be admitted into the family of Israel. Why? The blood symbolizes the seriousness of the commitment. As I said, it's like a self-maledictory oath. May I be dead. May my own blood be shed if I am not faithful, if I do not keep the terms of this relationship to the king of the universe. And so it speaks to us of something which is serious. It makes the covenant inviolable. Blood was critical to the death of Jesus. Did you ever think about it? Jesus didn't die by getting hit by a chariot in the streets of Jerusalem. Pneumonia, typhus, or any other accident or disease, Jesus shed his blood. This is the new covenant in my blood. This is for keeps. This is serious. This is for good. This is the one who will not let Abraham go and the one that will not let you or me go. He's in it for the long haul with you and me. That's what's behind the covenant of blood. It all begins with Abraham and his son Isaac, born from the dead womb of Romans 4, 17. God brought that child to life, but the institution of circumcision, which Paul talks about a number of times in Romans, you have to go back to the beginning to understand the significance of the blood. Like Abraham, we need to live to serve other people and be hospitable. Abraham was. We need to be people who get in God's face, if you will, in behalf of those who aren't particularly nice. In fact, sometimes people who are an offense to the Almighty, as Abraham did in behalf of his search for righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Lord, if there are 50 righteous, he takes God all the way down to 10. Spare the city. These were strangers. Do we put our butt on the line for other people we don't know? 
You want to know why Father Abraham is so important? He was willing to go to the most notorious two cities of his day in that land of Canaan in search of righteous people, pleading with God not to destroy that city. Thank God he has a long fuse with you and with me. And Abraham brings out for us a man who's out there looking for children who can walk righteously before God. Walk before him in humility. And so as I bring this message then to a conclusion, we've been focusing today on Romans 4, 16 and 17. And the promise that Abraham would have numerous seed, offspring, that includes his physical as well as those from his non-physical line, Gentiles, who have responded to God by faith. And so as we think of what it means to be a child of Abraham, May the good Lord help us to realize we cannot define ourselves as Christians without an Abrahamic component. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's offspring. And so it behooves us to really uncover the Jewish roots of our Christian faith. That makes us more authentically biblical and, by the way, it also will make us more authentically Abrahamic. And Paul would celebrate that if he were here today. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you through your mercy and grace. You brought us into the Abrahamic family. We don't understand this mystery, but we know it's of you. And we thank you for it. We pray as we come to understand Genesis 12 through 25, as well as Paul's reflections on this material in Genesis that concerns Father Abraham, that we'll be more authentically people who reflect the best virtues and values of our family tree. A tree which has spiritual characteristics at its very roots. I ask these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.